Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the government prepares to announce the loosening of some travel restrictions. We'll hear more today about, you know, limited changes at the border, the quarantine hotels, you know, some announcement about plans to come about how we'll loosen up restrictions for people who are fully vaccinated. For the business community, that won't be fast enough. Canada reaches a vaccine milestone. To date, three quarters of eligible Canadians have received at least one dose, putting Canada first in the G7, the G20 and the OECD. And second doses are quickly ramping up with hundreds of thousands being administered daily. And the government aims to pass key pieces of legislation in the final sitting days before the summer break. These benefits will end in a few weeks if the Conservative Party and the opposition parties continue to obstruct our efforts to pass legislation. It's Monday, June the 21st. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Peter, thank you for joining us. Hi again, Mark. So we're expecting some news from the federal government today on travel restrictions. And it's interesting because this whole issue of the Canada-U.S. border has been heating up recently. A lot of people have been weighing in on it. There's even an American congressman who's saying he's proposed to Joe Biden, the U.S. president, that we should unilaterally reopen the border to Canadians um, so, uh, what do you, what do you think? What do you, what do you expect to hear today? Well, I expect to hear the government, you know, tamp down expectations uh, again, Mark. I, you know, there's, there's, you know, two sides being pushed here. You have the business community, the tourism community, the frustrated Canadian community of people who, um, you know, have high expectations on the one side for, the, the ability to more freely travel to the United States to visit, you know, property, visit relatives, based on what the government had been saying over the last number of months. And once we hit certain, certain thresholds, 75% of Canadians vaccinated, 25, uh, 20% fully vaccinated, that uh, restrictions would begin to be loosened. A lot of that's changing now with the uh, the prevalence of the Delta variant and, and how, um, uh, you know how much easier that is to uh, to transmit. So there's lots of concerns about that. So uh, you know the business side uh, saying, look, this is killing business. It's time to reopen that border. Yeah, we've met the thresholds. Let's go. And on the government side, I think there's we'll hear more today about you know limited changes at the border, the quarantine hotels. Uh, you know some. Uh, announcement about, you know, uh, plans to come about how we'll loosen up restrictions for people who are fully vaccinated. And for the business community, that won't be fast enough. And there's building frustration for people who say we've met the thresholds. It's time to open up. And I'm certainly hearing from a lot of people in the business community really now pressing uh, that angle. In fact, you know, know, uh, if they can't push the federal government in this country to take action they're they're pushing on the on the u.s side yeah uh, you know saying look let let's get them you know it's up to the americans to decide which canadians can come in if they say it's fine two two vaccines is good enough for us start coming across the border then it's simply left to canadians to uh you know if the government opens up that uh that traffic to people beyond non-essential uh, travelers, that it's up to Canadians to make that decision. We're going across and we'll follow the Canadian rules when we come back. But why is Canada deciding who can cross into the United States? 
Yeah, it'd be, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with that today. Now, let's talk about vaccination rates because um, there were some interesting numbers that were released uh, over the weekend. Uh, 75% of Canadians have received their first dose. 20% have received two doses. Um, it's shaping up to be a, not just a, a one-dose summer for a lot of Canadians, but potentially a dose number two summer as well. Um, so this is this has been a real turnaround given the fact that we started slow on vaccines in compared in comparison to other countries yeah it sure has um you know and i and again what's what's you know the conversation we're going to hear more and more about i think mark is okay what what do i get for the i mean i had some understanding of what it meant for a, a one dose summer you know there'd be a lot of restrictions would stay in place and uh so what does it mean for a two dose summer and i think there's growing evidence here uh that we may, uh, you know, be hearing more and more uh, about not, you know, getting ahead of ourselves, more and more advice from health officials and more and more guidance from health officials, that, you know, about this Delta variant that, look, we had, you know, with a one-dose summer, we knew what to expect. Now with a two-dose summer, we it may, it may feel more like a one-dose summer if this Delta variant continues to spread. Sure. It's in in all of the 10 provinces, I believe now. And so it's of increasing concern. So it's not clear to me at this point exactly what a two-dose summer is going to mean. And we've talked about the border, but what's it going to mean beyond that in terms of gatherings and get-togethers and whether you can uh, hug family members and so on. And there's going to be a, an increasing clamoring from Canadians to know what that means. And I think we might hear a, a, a certain level of uncertainty and, and maybe in some cases frustration on the health side uh, with those health officials saying, look, uh, we're not exactly sure what we can tell you yet about what a two-dose summer means. And it may take some time before we know that based on where this Delta variant goes and how effective to even two doses of vaccine are against the variant. Because as you know, Mark, we're starting to see some cases of people who become infected even if they've had two vaccines. And, uh, you know, it minimizes uh, how bad, um, you know, the reaction is if you've become infected with COVID-19 with this variant, if you've had two doses of vaccine. But it means for those people who haven't uh, received a second dose, it, it makes things far more precarious for them uh, until uh, everybody is double vaccinated. Yeah. All right. Um, let's talk about this week, uh, which is expected to be the final week of Parliament of this session. Um, and potentially, uh, I think there's almost a consensus now that unless something enormous changes over the summer, that it will be the last week of Parliament before the next federal election. There, there's a lot of speculation now about an election in, in September with the campaign possibly starting in August. Maybe the timing on that will will uh, will move slightly, but that seems to be the way everyone is pointed. Um, so what are your thoughts on what to expect this week? What's the government trying to accomplish before the House rises? Yeah, the government's, you know, trying to get through some final key pieces of legislation. It's going to even introduce at least one more piece in the remaining days uh, of, this, of this sitting. But the objective is to try and you know, get through some key legislation that it's that it's prepared to uh, campaign on that it, that it promised. Um, you know, including uh, legislation on the environment, uh, budget measures, of course. Uh, you know, a ban on uh, conversion therapy, C10, on uh, changes to the Broadcast Act. 
these are key pieces of legislation the government's trying to push through before the deadline. And in a lot of ways, if we end up in an election campaign, um, you know, it can be win-win for the government in terms of how the campaign goes. If they get the legislation passed, they can put it in the window and say, these are, these are the things they do uh, that we've done for Canadians and uh, promised we would do for Canadians. And then some key ones, in particular, I'm watching to see what happens with the conversion therapy bill and on the C-10 broadcasting changes, because if the government doesn't get those through, um, there are constituencies involved there that uh, the government will play to and will pin uh, this particularly uh, for Liberals and Conservatives. They'll be working to pin it on Conservatives, the the ban on conversion therapy. If if the government gets it passed, they can put it in the window. If they don't get it passed, they'll campaign on it and say, you know, Conservatives stopped us from making this happen, and uh, that'll become a, a, a campaign issue, I think, as well as the changes to C-10, really uh, a major uh, significant item, largely in in the province of Quebec, but it's important legislation, but with a big constituency in the province of Quebec, it's been played up by the Bloc Québécois, which is on the same side of the government on this, and the NDP's on that side. Uh, The Tories oppose it, of course, and this will become a big campaign issue in the province of Quebec. If the government doesn't get it passed, they get to campaign saying Tories stopped it from happening. Yeah. All right, finally, Peter... Uh, Perry Bellegarde is in the final few weeks of his term as the uh, chief of the Assembly of First Nations, and uh, he gave an interview with the Globe and Mail saying that the world is finally waking up to uh, the fact that there's been a genocide in Canada. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think certainly Canadians have have been woken up to this, and and Bellegarde referred to that as well. Um, is this is this an inflection point? Do you think after the discovery of the bodies of two hundred and fifteen children at the former residential school in British Columbia? It sure feels like it doesn't, Mark. You and I talked about this when the, the revelations were first uh, revealed, um, and we talked then about you know the how you know there. The, there seemed to have been at the time a real pivot point away from this uh, constant story that has been in front of Canadians for years about the way that Indigenous people have been treated in this country, and it's before Canadians, almost to the point where uh, the nation becomes sort of numb to the challenges, numb to the uh, uh, the wrong, you know, the wrongs that have been done to Indigenous people in this country over over centuries, and then uh, this happens, and it and it pivots from uh, a story in the news from time to time to uh, politicians uh, pushing for change or talking about change to uh, a, a really emotional and and a, and a gut feeling for Canadians that how could this happen in this country? How come we don't know more about it? And what are we going to do about it? And I think what's hanging over the heads. Uh, of a lot of people in this country and and weighing on them will be when are we going to hear about more bodies in more places it it feels like there's a sense of momentum and Perry Bellegarde's talked about this there's a sense of momentum in the country that Canadians have uh, gone from uh, you know the sense that how we treated indigenous people is just not good enough to uh, an absolute demand now for something better for answers for change for uh, for a reckoning of, of exactly what this treatment entailed, exactly how many of these children uh, were lost, how many of these children uh, were killed, uh, where their bodies are buried, and what we're going to do about it as a nation. You know, the sense that it's hard to move past uh, any of this until there's an absolute recognition of what was done and an absolute 
pledge from across the country to to do whatever we can uh, to make it right and to uh, move forward on this, um, you know, because I don't think anybody's happy with uh, this story continuing to dominate headlines in one way or another in the story. I mean, the treatment of Indigenous people, but very little being done to improve uh, the way they're treated in Canada. Yeah. All right, Peter, we'll see what this week brings. Thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, Mark, take care, and uh, we'll talk again. Bye now. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Chantal Bear argues, when MPs return after summer break, the political landscape might not be as hospitable for Justin Trudeau. Hebert writes, the summer parliamentary ceasefire may help clear the air, but it may be that the only lasting cure will be a return to the polls, such as the reality of minority parliaments, at the same time, tensions on the federal-provincial front are set to rise. The summer will also see major changes that could alter the relationships between the current government and some key participants in the political conversation. In the Hamilton Spectator, Jeffrey Stevens considers the state of long-term care as Parliament prepares to shut down for the summer. Stevens writes, Parliament Hill is in its annual frenzy to clear the decks before closing down for the summer on Wednesday, and many Liberal promises are in limbo. If the summer break ends in an election, unkept promises will be wiped off the slate. I fear this will be the fate of the promise the Prime Minister made last September to work with the provinces to establish national standards for long-term care, enforceable standards to prevent another crisis like the one wrought by COVID-19. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues it's time to debate cancel culture. The Sun writes, In cities across the country, statues of Sir John A. Macdonald have been taken down or covered up. In Toronto, activists pulled down a statue to Egerton Ryerson outside the university that bears his name. We need a public debate about cancel culture. In the upcoming federal election, parties should tell us where they stand. Let Canadians have their say on who should end up on the scrap heap and who we should celebrate. In a democracy, issues of public policy are debated peacefully and put to the vote, not to the sledgehammer. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. There will be a parliamentary showdown of sorts today, as we see whether the head of the Public Health Agency of Canada complies with an order to appear before Parliament and provide documents. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, last week, MPs in the House of Commons passed a parliamentary motion, an order, requiring that Ian Stewart, the head of the Public Health Agency of Canada, appear before Parliament at 3 p.m. today. Not only that, he is required to present to the law clerk of the House of Commons unredacted documents requested by the Canada-China Committee of the Commons, as well as by the House of Commons, voting as a whole. It's the first time in more than a century that a non-member of the House of Commons has been found in contempt of Parliament. That was a ruling last week by Speaker Anthony Rota. The documents relate to the firing on security grounds of two Chinese scientists working at Canada's top security National Microbiology Lab in Winnipeg. Everyone agrees that their firing involves national security, but there are also questions as to whether their firing might involve public safety because one of the scientists was involved in the transfer of samples of deadly viral, uh, viral samples such as Ebola and Hennepin to China. 
but the government has argued that the opposition Conservatives are exploiting the situation, unnecessarily whipping up public concern, practicing a witch hunt, and not letting the matter be dealt with by the special National Security and Intelligence Committee, which can deal with top-secret documents under oath, and which they say would not threaten national security and diplomatic relations. As for the man at the centre of it all, on Friday, appearing before the Commons Health Committee, Ian Stewart testified that he finds himself in an extremely difficult legal position. Many of the documents that he is requested to provide are confidential and some are marked top secret. He says he'll be violating both privacy rights, national security laws and other legal statutes if he complies with the Order of Parliament. So Mark, all in all, not an enviable position for Mr. Stewart to find himself in. We will see what transpires this afternoon and how opposition MPs decide to respond. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will meet virtually with members of the Liberal Indigenous Caucus. He will also virtually visit a grade 6 class at Rocky Lake Elementary School in Bedford, Nova Scotia. Later in the day, the Prime Minister will take part in a virtual discussion with the Commissioner and Directors of the Office of the Commissioner of Indigenous Languages. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will virtually attend the Cabinet meeting. Fisheries Minister Bernadette Jordan will make an announcement about the Coast Guard's Indigenous Community Boat Volunteer Pilot Program. Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will announce investments in artificial intelligence. Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna will attend an infrastructure event in Gatineau, Quebec. And Small Business Minister Mary Ng will make an announcement about support for small businesses. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, June 21st. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.